Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Well, after a long, stressful day of rumors, reporting, absolute lunacy on Twitter, it turns out Shohei did not sign with the Red Wings. I can't believe it. Although he is now worth almost like more than four or seven NHL franchises and 23 MLS franchises at this point. So he's not having a bad weekend. I'll tell you that. He's making almost half a million dollars per game for 10 years. Isn't that the most outrageous thing you've ever heard? This might be the shining example of uh, the Gary Bettman defenders when they say, but look how much the NHL has grown since he's taken over. And uh, growth paths are not equal. (laughs) Have you seen how much a bag of chips costs in the grocery store? I think the cost of everything has increased. Everything has gained revenue if you're a business. Uh, The NHL shouldn't be too proud of their growth. I think if he manages money... Uh, manages his money properly, Shohei could probably afford like six or seven bags of chips now. My God. He may even be able to afford an apartment in Toronto at some point if he plays his cards right. Well, let's not get carried away here. Nobody can afford that. People are just squatting. He wouldn't even be allowed in Toronto at this point uh, based on all the antics that went down on Friday afternoon with people tracking a reported private jet that had Shohei Otani on it. Turned out to be not him at all. Um another random Canadian trying to come back from a vacation with their family. So that, that whole saga was wild, but imagine if we had stuff like that in the NHL. Oh my God. You know, like of all the major sports, baseball's, you know, probably third on my list, but that Friday was a top five funniest day on Twitter from beginning to end. The fact that it gets, it involves Toronto sports fans makes it even better. Because watching them go from the highest of highs to the complete lowest of lows is one of the best things on the planet. Well, thankfully for me, I'm also a Red Wings fan and a Bills fan, and they made me far sadder than I was on Friday. A lot of sadness uh, going to be happening in this episode, unfortunately. Ryan misses it once again. Ryan misses all the fun episodes. Uh, he, he sends that message in our group chat today, jokingly. Oh, not much to go on today. Hey, boys, shut up. Yeah. He, uh, you know, who knows if he's away for another episode? Who knows what the Red Wings will get up to in that time frame? Someone uh, might could, actually die. No way this make is up, going. Could make for another crazy episode. This one, I can't believe the content we've got for this. It writes itself, thank God. Well, On the plus side for us, all the NHL news, major NHL news from the weekend came from the Red Wings game. We spent Evan and I spent 10 minutes prepping this episode going, what the hell else happened in the league that's worth talking about? And everything kept coming back to Detroit. The Kane debut, the Perron incident, Larkin's injury. There's a Berggren trade rumor tonight. So league-wide news for this episode is basically none. Red Wings content overflowing. I'll take it, yeah. even though it wasn't all happy. So on that note, uh, obviously Ryan's not here today, so I will give you guys the intro today and remind you that WWP Night with the Grand Rapids Griffins is on January 27th, 2024. A new batch of tickets and hats was just released, but they're selling out fast, so make sure you get over to griffinshockey.com slash WWP to get your tickets today. There will be a live show featuring Dan Watson and Griffin's players before the game. Plus, you'll have an opportunity to get a limited edition Griffin's Wing Wheel Podcast co-branded hat. Again, that's griffinshockey.com slash WWP for details and tickets. Makes for a great Christmas gift because you can get a game and gift a hat. See, lazy Christmas gift giver. I know how to game the system here. It's a two for one. Yeah, actually, I say that I'm done for the year. How far along are you on your Christmas shopping? Uh, that is a great question. The only person I have something purchased for is Charlie. So uh, <laughs> I should probably get on that this week. Yes. And is- you know what? It's I and I have the easiest, easiest shopping list ever because or 
gift giving ever because Catherine sends me direct links to what she wants and my mom emails me direct links to what they want and uh i hope she can't hear me right now that's one disadvantage of doing this at home um hopefully uh i get on this i get on that this week oh man that is the most evan answer imaginable yeah well people get what they want it keeps uh, me from having to to guess everybody gets everybody has a good time all right. So on this episode, like we mentioned, no shortage of topics. Uh, so we are going to start with the Sharks game. We are going to follow that into the Senators game, which I have to imagine is going to be the bulk of the conversation today. And then we're going to talk about how Patrick Kane looked in his uh, Red Wings debut. Now that he's got two games under his belt, we can start to form some impressions on how he's doing, what he is, how he's holding up, how he looks. And then just before we started recording, uh, Jonathan Bergeron was reported to be on the trade block by David Pegnata, so we could dive into reasons that might be the case, what a Bergeron trade might look like, who might be interested, and uh, all that fun stuff. So, the San Jose game, and I know Ryan, when he does this, usually will recap goal by goal. Uh, from the games but I feel like if we do that between these two games we're going to get very sad very fast and it will be a tough listen my notes for this game are hilarious um, I don't have a whole lot for the first period but then in the second period I have so many bullet points and they all sort of start with less than 30 seconds later or less than a minute later less than 30 seconds later less than 30 seconds later um maybe one of the wildest non-playoff hockey games i've ever watched well let's get into it i'll start with the obvious the red wings jump out to a four nothing lead and look phenomenal they look like a playoff team beating up on one of the worst teams in the nhl awesome we love that then what happened evan uh the they basically decided that they were going to do the old let's blow leads, but in under six minutes. The fact that I have a line in my notes that says the Red Wings held a 4 nothing lead for less than six minutes. I never thought I'd write that sentence, but, you know, 2023 is going out with a bang right now. All right. So what was the final total? Five goals in about eight minutes is how that broke down. And then eight goals in the second period. God, that is crazy. I know we talked about last episode and I saw all the tweets from all of you saying, hey guys, you can just repost the last episode after the show. We thought about it. We, We did think about it. Because for the sake of, you know, not being redundant, we will mention that the Red Wings consistently blowing leads is a recurring theme and is a huge problem. So what I want to talk about on this one, rather than just stating the obvious, is why. What is this particular game? What happened here that the Red Wings blew a four-goal lead against a historically bad team? From my perspective, it's a little bit of bad luck and a little bit of not paying attention to the finer details of the game, which is something we hinted on in last episode. Uh, One of the goals, for example... I, th- I believe San Jose was shorthanded. They tried to clear it, took a bad, bo- a strange bounce off the glass. Sider wasn't able to handle it. So a little bit of bad luck, a little bit of un- uh, lacking ability to handle it. And um, San Jose goes down and scores. Uh, I think that was the tying goal at that point. Um, maybe it was the one that put them one back. But to me, it all comes back down to, you know, losing focus for just a couple plays here and there it wasn't like it was the same people causing the same mistakes it was you know one line has a has a bad shift and san jose goes down on a on an odd man rush and and scores um it's it's the attention to detail and the bad luck that's kind of driving me crazy when i rewatch this game well we did mention you know multiple times so far this year that one of the big gaps between the red wings and the golden knights and the bruins of the world is those teams don't have these lapses especially in these scenarios the the sharpness the consistency shift to shift is usually there for these teams and i think your point on it wasn't one guy 
in the breakdowns or it wasn't one line consistently screwing up is a good one because it's true. This isn't a game where you can look at X reason and go, this is why they lost. The overarching theme is it was a systemic breakdown by the entire team that cost them. And, you know, to fast forward to the third period, not to go play by play again, but they blew the four nothing lead in the second period. But then they came out and retook the lead in the third period. You know, Larkin got a big goal to what hopefully should have been the winning goal. Nope. San Jose jumps right back in and ties it again before they blow it in overtime. But mentioning not blaming it on one guy, I do want to talk about one guy in particular because I this is becoming a bigger and bigger talking point as the year goes on. But how much do we worry about the goaltending after a game like that? Yeah. Um, I think for me, you know, there were some some weak goals. There were some very well-deserved goals as well for San Jose. Uh, Zetterland had a really nice goal. Uh, that was a shooter's goal. Um, you, you'd be looking for Huso to make a couple saves to bail the Red Wings out. And I feel like this season so far, and definitely in the San Jose game, there hasn't been a whole lot of that happening um, out of the Detroit Red Wings goaltending. Yeah, I think the way I would put it is there's there hasn't been a ton of goals this year that Huso's let in where I say that's awful. That should never go in. There's been a few, but look around the NHL. Every goalie in the league has a few of those. So the fact that Huso hasn't you know, been perfect in that category is not a big deal. But the, those extra saves, those ones you're not expecting him to get, the, you know, the five bell saves. I don't know if we've seen any of those from him this year. The, ah, yeah, it's understandable that went in, but I would have liked for him to stop that. I, I don't remember very many of any of those at all this year from him. And I know he's a new dad and, you know, I've been through life with a newborn. <laughs> I, I understand his sleep schedule and his routines are probably a nightmare right now for all the best reasons. And obviously we're very happy for him, but you know, at the end of the day, you're still a professional athlete and your team still relies on you. And when you can't hold a four goal lead to the San Jose Sharks, I don't care your reasons. I don't care how many of those goals are your fault. Can't happen. It just can't. Yeah. You know, to, to give Huso some credit, a lot of the goals were, were odd man rushes or, breakaways or two on O breakaways so the odds aren't always that great that you're going to get a save from your goaltender in those sorts of situations and you're not going to win a lot of games putting yourselves in those sorts of situations but yeah it would be nice to see a big time save to really sort of energize the group because you know what it's like when you're playing a game and your goalie can't stop anything like it's such a motivation and such a buzz kill because uh, you just don't have any belief that you're going to be able to win the game when you can't make a single save. So not a great game for either goalie, really. Like a 6-5 game is not great, and I'm sure both coaches are not thrilled with 11 goals being scored and eight of those in the second period. But, you know, also some credit to San Jose. Like they took a timeout when they gave up four goals. They had an FU match on the bench and they came right back into that game. Like maybe the Red Wings should have taken a timeout somewhere in that eight to 10 minute stretch to sort of cool everything down, get Huso's head back in it, get the team's head back in it. Um, yeah, I, all over the place with my thoughts on this game because the whole game was all over the place. But there's so many things you you kind of, in retrospect, wish that would have happened differently. But at the end of the day, the Red Wings, I guess, get a point and um, you just got to kind of move on from this one, I think. Yeah, that's got to be the most depressing point in the, in the Red Wings' last few years. It's, it feels like such an absurdly bad loss. But they still got 50% of the points available to them that game. So not a complete write-off. Yeah. But then the auto. You know what? I give San Jose a lot of credit. Like, they stuck around in that game. They kept working. They didn't have any sort of bad body language. They just kept doing their thing. The Red Wings gave them great chances to get back in the game. And when they had those chances, they scored. So, 
you know, bad game for the Red Wings. San Jose had a bad game, but we're able to find a way back into it. And um, from an entertainment perspective, it was an unbelievable game. Yes, it was. Well, entertainment, uh, high in the Ottawa game, but not for any good reasons. Almost, well, one, but we'll talk about that after. Do we even bother talking about the bulk of this Sens game? You know, the Red Wings go down one nothing early. A beautiful goal from Patrick Kane ties at 1-1. And then the Red Wings are basically playing with five forwards the rest of the game and get absolutely shelled. Yeah, I there was two tails of that game. And when Larkin went down, the game completely changed. You could tell there was a lot of morale lost on the Red Wings with the senior captain go down the way he did. Um, and then just there being a short bench, basically, and Ottawa just kind of worked the Red Wings at, at from from there on out. So I don't know. We can talk about it goal by goal if you want. It's absolutely not. No, it's kind of all this. It's at the end of the day, it all bundles up into the same package, and it's probably a forgettable game for the Red Wings. The Red Wings had to play about seventy percent of that game with three lines, and I can tell you, in my whale shit senior a hockey league playing with three lines is a nightmare i could not imagine trying to do that at the nhl level those guys were dying so it's never good and it's almost never excusable to lose a game 5-1 especially to a divisional rival but all the circumstances around that game i'm not going to hold it against them they they should be held to the fire for the san jose game and i think we we went over that pretty well i i'm not saying they get a pass on that loss for the ottawa game but it's very, very understandable in this circumstance. There's some things they don't get a pass for, and we're going to talk about that. But yeah, we we might as well just dive into it. The uh, the incident, the so to break down the play for anybody who didn't see it, and if you haven't seen it, I don't recommend you go watch it. It is unsettling. There's a net front battle. Larkin and a bunch of other players are in there, um, you know, fighting for the puck. Obviously, he's trying to find a rebound. The Senators are understandably not happy about that, trying to get him out of there. And amongst and in the midst of this, uh, Matthew Joseph, I don't even know what to call it because it wasn't a cross check. It wasn't a punch. It was kind of a hybrid of the two. Gets Larkin right in the back of the head. His one hand hits him what looks like, you know, high neck, you know, low back of the skull. And his other hand kind of gets him on the side from the jaw. And as he's going down, Ottawa uh, player Parker Kelly, who was coming in to give Larkin, you know, a very understandable shove in the situation there, looked like he might have caught Larkin in the jaw on the way down as well. That leads to Larkin out cold before he hits the ice and he hits the ice and he's sprawled out. And as he's laying on the ice unconscious, obviously a bit of a scuffle ensues, but a lot of players, I will say Senators players and Red Wings players notice Larkin's out and immediately the attention to, for a bunch of them turns to that, you know, Matthew Joseph of all people's waving for the trainer to come out. Artem Zub's kind of standing there, you know, I don't know if he was just making sure nobody fell on Larkin or, or what he was doing. David Prawn turns around and sees his captain. Un, literally unconscious on the ice and Zub being the guy standing over him and his wires get crossed. He just sees red cross checks Artem Zub right in the face. And then, you know, all hell breaks loose in that. But the end result of that play being a five minute major in a game ejection for David Prawn and two minutes for roughing each for Matthew Joseph and Parker Kelly. So let's start with the Perron part of that because I think that's a little more cut and dry. And then we'll get into the more complicated Matthew Joseph, Parker Kelly scenario. So what did you make of the Perron cross check on Artem Zub? Artem Zub basically demonstrated the wrong place, wrong time. He... So David Perron turns around, sees Dylan Larkin in the unconscious position he's in, and sees Artem Zub standing over him. To him, it may as well be a smoking gun. Um, you know, really, what do you add to that? He absolutely just loses his mind. The wires cross. He goes over there and unleashes 
a two-handed full cross check right to the jibs of Artem Zub. You know what? I'm usually the guy who can, you know, do some mental gymnastics to see around some of the physical play that happens in the NHL. This one's pretty much, you know, and the NHL is going to, is in agreement. This is uncalled for. It's not part of what, uh, what makes hockey great. Um, David Perron's got an offered an in-person hearing for tomorrow with, and by tomorrow, I mean Monday. So to me, it's pretty cut and dry. He's going to get a big suspension for this one. I think. And he should. Um, I will say I'm not going to throw Perron completely under the bus here because we've been dumping on the Red Wings for years about they don't have that fight back mentality. They fail the punk test a lot. So watching Perron actually get angry and actually try to do something about it is refreshing. How he did that, though, was unbelievably stupid. Yeah, love the idea, but not the execution of said idea. Exactly. You know, you don't even have the right guy. And even if it was Matthew Joseph, you don't cross check him in the face. I don't like, obviously, we've been bitching forever about the NHL is way too light on cross checking penalties like this and suspensions. It's usually one or two games. It's never severe. And we've always been, you know, whining and complaining these need to be long suspensions bit ironic that it finally happens or at least is likely to happen but it's going to happen to a red wing if i because i've seen a lot of red wings fans complaining and rightfully so about this on twitter that okay yeah Peron probably deserves a long suspension but why the hell haven't insert these four or five recent examples haven't they been long-term suspensions what I will say on this is I agree, but if Perron, whatever, say he gets a five, six, seven, eight game suspension, hypothetically, if that's the new standard for these and every similar incident like that from now on is also that length, I'm okay with it. I'm These are plays that don't belong in hockey. I don't ever want to see them. Again, love the idea. Perron, hate the execution. As long as th- this is the new standard. It sucks for the Red Wings. It sucks for Perron, but it's the right call. But however, if Perron gets five plus games and then the next incident uh, like this is only another one or two games again, I'm going to lose my mind. I'm going to drive to New York City and stake out George Peros's office at that point because I won't be able to rationalize it in my head at all. Yeah, I think for me, you know, precedence is key in these sorts of situations and if David Perron does get a lengthy suspension, which I think a lot of people are anticipating, I would imagine he um, appeals that suspension almost immediately and use precedence as a matter on this. The NHL, if <laughs> do I think this should be a long a long suspension? And by long, I mean five plus games. Yes, if that's where we're going with these sorts of plays. Yes, I agree with that. But I think David Perron will definitely appeal it if it is that long and say, hey, look at all these other almost carbon copy incidents where the the process or the the person being suspended gets a game, gets five hundred or five thousand dollar fine. Um, he's got a lot of defense on his side. Um, so Monday will be very interesting to see how this all plays out. And if he does, if he does get a lengthy suspension and doesn't appeal, I will be absolutely shocked because I, I don't see how he, he, he wouldn't in this instance. Yeah, that's very, very good point. Um, and the one thing I should mention that we haven't mentioned yet, because obviously we're recording this before we know what the suspension is just because he's been offered an in-person hearing does not mean the suspension will be more than five games. It means they have the option to. Right. Phone hearing is always five games or less, or is it less than five games? Either way, it doesn't matter. You get the point. With the in-person, it could be anything from one to a million games. It's completely wide open. Every option is on the table. So traditionally speaking, when a player has been offered an in-person hearing, it's been the five plus. So, I'm going on that assumption, but who knows? Now let's talk about what sparked all this. And, 
you know, the more controversial part of it. Uh, Matthew Joseph's quasi cross check punch to the back of uh, Larkin's head and jaw and Parker Kelly's uh, I'll, I'll straight up call it accidental punch to Larkin's jaw. I'll, I'll get that part out of the way. When Parker Kelly went into what looked like was going to be a shove to Dylan Larkin, he was expecting to probably get him in the chest. He wasn't expecting Larkin to go down. So I, I'm not going to hold any of this incident against Parker Kelly. It, it you, You're entering a scrum expecting to shove a guy. You're not expecting his face to be at chest level as soon as you wind up. So, you know, obviously you don't like that Parker Kelly hit him in the face. But I, I don't blame Parker Kelly for the result here. I don't know if you've seen it any differently than me. No, I don't. I don't see it any different on the Park Kelly side at all. You can see his hands are really low when I'll say contact is initiated. He's obviously coming in on the backside and trying to make a play, like a uh, basically eliminate Larkin from the play, get him out of the the front of the net area. His hands are low, and the altercation the (laughs) physical event occurring in front of him does not play out the way he thought it would and larkin's head basically ends up right where uh parker kelly's stick and hands are and um yeah i i don't see how people can you know lay any blame on parker kelly for this one he's just trying to make a defensive play and the situation changed on an instant in front of him all right, to this point in the conversation, I think we've been pretty reasonable with Perron, sympathetic to Art and Zub, sympathetic to Parker Kelly. Now we're going to talk about Matthew Joseph and all my ration, rationality and sympathy, and it's out the window now. I'm opening my boomer window. I I can't rationalize anything that happened here. So the backstory that most people know about, but for those who don't, this isn't Larkin and Matthew Joseph's first run-in. When he was in Tampa... Dylan Larkin's first game back from a neck injury that he suffered when Jamie Benn cross-checked him in the back of the neck and did not get suspended. Uh, Matthew Joseph boarded him from behind into the boards, head first. And then Larkin got up, sucker punched him, and Larkin got a one-game suspension. And Matthew Matthew Joseph did not get suspended for the check from behind. Fast forward to the game last night and... Matthew Joseph, I'm just going to call it a punch for the sake of simplicity in this conversation. I know it wasn't really a punch, but we're going to call it a punch because we don't need to keep explaining it. Matthew Joseph punches Dylan Larkin in the back of the head and the jaw. And I don't know if that was what knocked him unconscious or when Parker Kelly got him on the way down. It doesn't matter. Matthew Joseph is the reason Dylan Larkin is unconscious on the ice. So now this is his second cheap shot from behind. On a star player. And like, let's be clear here. Matthew Joseph is not an important player on the Ottawa Senators. He is not a relevant player on the in the NHL. He's a third, fourth line shitter who knows what his role is. He plays that role well, to be fair. I'll give him that. But this is now the second incident. The referees review this play and deem not worth a major, which what in the hell? And then... Yeah, Perron, you know, tried to respond, but before we get into the Red Wings response, I I got it. We have to bitch about the officiating on this. How is that not a major? I don't care the severity of how hard he hit him. He punched a dude in the back of the head and the guy ended up unconscious and that's two minutes for roughing. What reality are we living in? I guess uh, David Perron doesn't need to go far for precedence uh, because Matthew Joseph basically does a very similar thing to Dylan Larkin as what uh, David Perron did to Artem Zub. So maybe we just rescind everything and David Perron just gets a two-minute penalty on uh, on the box sheet and we move on from this. Yeah, If it was anyone other than Matthew Joseph... I would maybe be able to do some mental gymnastics to get around this one. But, you know, if it looks like a duck, it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck. I think it's Matthew Joseph. So, um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, You know what? I've 
this one, this isn't the Jamie Ben thing to me where it's like this, that is clearly like targeted and malicious. Like I can definitely see Matthew Joseph knows it's Dylan Larkin and he starts to play up high. And I think the Parker Kelly thing, all of that adds to the equation leading to Dylan Larkin getting hurt. I am shocked Matthew Joseph only got a two-minute penalty on that play because everything starts high. It's not like he gives him a cross-check low and uh, Dylan Larkin goes down and the contact from Parker Kelly leads to everything. It, the play starts high with with Matthew Joseph and, and Dylan Larkin. He goes straight to the head-neck area, and that's what starts the, the spiral of uh, unfortunate events. So I didn't really understand the reduction to a two-minute penalty, um, this one's so many mixed feelings on this because if it wasn't Matthew Joseph, I would feel – I don't know if I'd feel the same way as what I do. It, it, this one's just so bizarre to me. Like the history, the outcome, um, the, the penalties that get called on the play, it's just so confusing to me. And people online were kind of all over the place too, like Red Wings fans obviously defending their captain, Ottawa fans obviously defending their team, and then the neutral observers were kind of all over the place too, and obviously everybody wishing the best for Dylan Larkin at the end. So for me, this one's really weird. I thought they would for sure just you know get him out of the game or give him give him a four minute penalty just to you know kind of put the situation to bed. Um, the whole thing is just crazy to me and I, you know, we'll talk about some of the um, notes on Dylan Larkin after the game, but uh, just hoping he's all right. Yeah, that's the most important thing. But the thing and, and I'm glad you brought the point up about it started high. Anybody, anybody who's played hockey at any level knows what's a hockey play and what's not. Parker Kelly came into that scrum trying to clear Dylan Larkin out of the net out of the front of the net like any other hockey player would hands stick to the chest get the hell away from my goalie Matthew Joseph did none of that he started at the head his only contact with Dylan Larkin was to the back of his head and his jaw that is not a hockey play it's not a full sucker punch we're not talking about Todd Bertuzzi on Steve Moore here but it's the same train of thought I, he was not trying to move Dylan Larkin from the front of the net with that action. That was, I've got a good player, a star player in front of me with the opportunity to do something shitty to him. And he took it. And don't act like hockey players are angels. This type of crap happens a lot, just not to this degree. And again, it wasn't the most malicious sucker punch we've ever seen, but it was hitting a defensive player in the back of his head and jaw. That is never a two-minute roughing. That is five in a game at a minimum, and it should be a suspension. We're all about player safety until a player gets hurt. That okay, well, the action's already happened. I guess it doesn't matter at this point. I don't know. I can't I can't justify this. Yes, the you're right. The fact that it's Matthew Joseph brings my anger level up a lot. And I I there's no way for me to not agree with you on that. I can't. It's this is two times now. A third, fourth line shitter is taking liberties with the Red Wings' best player. No way around that. And I know player safety doesn't factor that into the decision. And I know it's probably not fair for me to expect this referee to remember this specific incident with these two specific players from, you know, over a year ago. Fair. I understand all of that. But to review that, and deem it's a two-minute roughing is insane to me. But that's the roughing. That's out of the Red Wings' control. That's out of the Senators' control. That's out of the fans' control. All we can sit here and do is piss and moan about it. But there is one thing within the Red Wings' control, how they respond to this. Now, this is a unique circumstance, and you know we've talked at length about how the Red Wings have failed the punk test many times over the year where they get pushed around bodied. Larkin specifically seems to have a lot of liberties taken with him. And the Red Wings pushback is negligible to none. On this one, we talked about how Perron at least tried. 
Don't agree with how he did it or handled it at all, but he tried. And you could tell from when they panned the camera over to the Red Wings bench and everybody's looking at a camera. Nobody really saw what happened, which is understandable. It was in the middle of a scrum and it wasn't the most like it wasn't a Todd Bertuzzi level sucker punch. So nobody knew in the immediate aftermath what happened, which is fair. And because of the Larkin injury and the Perron ejection, and I think the Red Wings were playing 11 to 11 and 7 to begin the game. They might not have been. Oh, no. Fabry was out for a bit. That's what happened. And then he came back with the full cage. They were playing very shorthanded in a must win game. And at the time of this, they were only down by one. So I understand. I understand in that instance, you can't lose another body. You can't send Michael Rasmussen over the boards to just straight up fight him, take an instigator, get tossed from the game. Fair. I understand that. I don't like it, but I understand it. But what I will say, and this is this is the boomer side of me coming out full uh, full stop. The next time the Detroit Red Wings play the Ottawa Senators, I don't care if it's Clean Costin, Ben Sherratt, Michael Rasmussen. I don't care if it's Lucas Raymond. First shift of the game, someone needs to grab Matthew Joseph and punch him in the face till their hand breaks. And I know that sounds aggressive. It is. It needs to be. This guy's taking two cheap shots at your best player. You need to send a message, not just to Matthew Joseph, to the rest of the damn league that you won't be pushed around. If you have to take an instigator penalty to initiate this fight, you take it. If you have to get tossed from this game, because let's say Matthew Joseph is not an accommodating dance partner. You take it. It's awful to say, and I hate that this is how the hockey world works. And when the referees and NHL player safety can't handle it, this is the quote unquote self-policing of the game. I don't like any of this. Let me be clear on that. I'm not sitting here and saying, this is how I want this to play out. This is how the NHL should play out. This is how I want to see the game played. I don't. I don't like any of this. But this shit's going to keep happening to players like Dylan Larkin and eventually Lucas Raymond, Patrick Kane, Alex DeBrinkett until people understand the Red Wings are not going to be messed with. Evan, I know you played junior C hockey, so this is nothing new to you. But I don't know. Am I I too extreme on this or where where do you stand? We don't have the... uh the pacifist on this episode so it's going to be fully unhinged about <laughs> violence and uh, taking liberties on other uh the players on other teams you know me like if if the guy if if someone takes liberties against anyone on your team especially your best player there has to be a response from the team and it doesn't have to be from from your bruisers it can be from anyone uh, we saw David Braun try to do that obviously we've already talked about that not the result you're looking for the next game, the message has to be pretty clear when you play Ottawa. Um, Matthew Joseph is target number one. If he isn't uh, a willing recipient, someone like Tim Slutza is recipient number two. Um, the I always think back to the John Tavares um, knee from Corey Perry that was accidental. Obviously, Corey Perry didn't mean for that to happen, but he answered the bell to Nick Foligno, even though it was stupid and it squashed everything right then and there. You know, the Red Wings got to hold grudges on this one. And uh, next time they play Ottawa, which I think is late January, you got to know what what message you have to deliver to the Ottawa Senators. It's not like you... It's not like they're a Pacific Division team where you play them a couple times a year. This is a... are going to be a division rival. Ottawa centers are on the up, just like the Red Wings. They're going to get good. You have to send a message now and build upon that. And, you know, in the playoffs, it's the same thing. You think, you think Boston isn't going to try and take liberties on Dylan Larkin in the playoffs. If you play Boston, like you have to send a message, whether that be, um, you know, a physical altercation, a fight, whatever you blow somebody up. Um, or you, you run them up on the scoreboard, you can't let the message or the the MO of your team be, um, we don't have each other's back. Look at, look at a team like Toronto, for example. 
their their fans hate that their star players don't show any passion or back each other up. Um, it's it's a narrative you don't want as a fan or uh, as a team. You got to have each other's back out there. So it'll be interesting the next time they play Ottawa. Um, I'm sure everybody will be tuned into it. Uh, I'm sh- hoping. I'm sure Clem Costin will be in the lineup. Um, it'll be a, a really good watch. But yeah, I'm. I'm. Hey, I'm. I'm into violence, and I like to be entertained. <laughs> so, um, I would like to see the Red Wings uh, make a big statement in that next game. Yeah, and the point you made about the rivalry is a good one. I, you could almost argue now, in current times, the Ottawa Senators are already Detroit's biggest rival. They're in the same kind of spot in the rebuild. Yeah, the Red Wings are, are light years ahead of them this particular season, but I don't think the Red Wings are light years ahead of them in the rebuild. So they're going to be in similar spots for a while. And between the, you know, two shit kickings in Ottawa last year and then, you know, this stuff this year, this rivalry is getting intense and you can't let Ottawa think they have the upper hand physically on you. Otherwise, you think Brady Kachuk if he sees no response next game, isn't just going to see the green light to do whatever the hell he wants. Like, well, that was the whole point of having fighters on your team. I mean, throughout the history of professional hockey, it allowed or enabled your best players to just do their thing. Because if guys took shots at your at the best players, some absolute mutant would come over the boards and pump your eyes shut. I'm not saying it has to get to that. I mean, though that's a bygone era. Um, but it's it's if you got to do something to protect your team and you've got to do something to not let the other team feel like they have carte blanche on the game. Yeah, the the next game should be greasy, dirty. Red Wings should be I'm not saying take cheap shots, but you have to it- play them as physical as you can within the constructs and the bounds of the the rule book. Yeah, if you finish every check, you know, you dump the puck in uh, Matthew Joseph's corner every chance you get. If there's an You make Ottawa- Jake Sanderson's life a living hell that night. You dump everything in on his side and you finish every single check on that guy. Yeah, and, you know, it'll from an entertainment standpoint, it'll make great hockey. This is what rivalries are. You know, if an Ottawa Senator skate touches anywhere near Vili Husso's crease, he should be on his ass before he knows you're there. And again, it's this is super old school mentality. And yeah, the Ryan Reeves of the world are useless in the NHL now because they can't keep up. So I'm not saying you go sign Luke Witkowski for one game, although I wouldn't be fully opposed to that. But you need someone again, Rasmussen, Costin, Sherratt. I genuinely don't care who, but just someone has to step up to Matthew Joseph first chance they get. And then the rest of the game should be an absolute bloodbath within the confines of the rules of the game. Yep. All right. Now let's talk about some happy stuff because uh, (laughs) Patrick Kane has now played two games as a Detroit Red Wing. It's real. It's happening. It's happened. They weren't two good games for the Red Wings. But how do you think Patrick Kane looked? I, you know what? My biggest thing with the whole Patrick Kane signing was what is it going to look like when he gets on the ice and from my observation he looks better than I thought he would he has much better speed than I expected because you get look at a guy like Nick Backstrom when he tried to come back it was you could very clear that he was a, a step behind didn't have the an extra gear to play at the NHL pace Patrick Kane looks dare I say great for two games he looked like Patrick Kane, which I think yeah, is the, which is shocking. Yeah, I don't think he was, you know, 2010, 2000, you know, 14 Patrick Kane, but you could tell it was him. He looked good. He was making plays, making passes, had a couple great chances uh to get his first goal before he actually got the first goal uh between the two games. Yeah, I a lot of the concerns I had about his hips, not that they're fully answered in two games, but early results are promising that all this talk about he's going to redefine what it means to come back from this surgery and his timeline and yada, yada, yada. I, I never buy into that stuff because that's just agents and doctors pumping their own tires, and, you know, to get 
what they can for their client. But after watching it, yeah, shit, they might not have been lying. <laughs> no kidding. He had a few, like he looks great off the half wall, kind of, you know, where he's made his mark almost his entire career. Um, he's had a lot of good looks. He comes off that half wall and it, the deception he has with the puck on his stick, there's very few players I've ever seen with that level of deception. It's You can't read shot or pass. Um, that's what happened on his first goal. He was looking pass, I thought, the whole way and just makes a quick little wrist shot and it's in the back of the net. Um, he's looked excellent to me. And I'm sure, you know, for him, he's happy to be out there. He probably would have preferred a couple wins uh, in those first two games. And I'm sure his timing isn't exactly where he would like it to be. But, man, for a guy who hasn't played since, like, May or whatever it is, I thought he was better than expected. Much far better than expected. Yeah, to come off the major surgery he had and six to seven months of not playing any competitive hockey. He looked good as he was, but those two factors leave me to believe there's still a lot of room to ramp up here, which that's insane to say for, you know, a guy in his mid thirties coming off that surgery. Yeah. And it's not like he's only playing power play right now. Like he's playing five on five minutes. He's, you know, getting contact initiated on him. He's making plays uh, through traffic. Like this guy's not afraid to, uh, or doesn't have to seem to have any scar tissue in terms of like being hesitant about making being part of physical plays. Um, man, if if the rust continues to come off, and or this is the rust that Patrick Kane has, huge addition to the Red Wings. Yeah, this uh, you know, again, two Ws would have been promising but two games in a goal a lot of looks and looks like he's moving fluently i think that's as much as we could have possibly hoped for yeah uh you know i'm sure he would have loved to bury the first one in san jose or uh against the game uh in detroit against san jose but um yeah he's looked excellent i'm i'm sure all red wings fans are uh beyond thrilled with what they've seen for patrick kane so far one of the implications of Patrick Kane coming to Detroit was how would that affect things down the roster? Well, Kane makes his debut on Thursday, and then on Sunday we get a report from David Pagnotta that apparently Jonathan Berggren has been in some trade talks around the league. We don't have any, uh, I don't know what to call it, details about who initiated this, why it's happening, but it's only one tweet, but as a Red Wings podcast, we need to talk about it so what do you make of the rumor that Berggren may be out there in trade talks well I saw that he was scratched I think the game was last night in Grand Rapids so and I, I couldn't really find out any additional details as to why it doesn't look like it's injury related so I mean first thing you think is trade it it is peculiar I mean I can't really have any sort of hard feelings on this until any something materializes. Because you know, Berggren Berggren had a great start to this, uh, his career last year in the NHL. I think I don't think anyone was upset with his production. Let's let's just hypothesize if he is in fact being traded. I would imagine the piece coming back to Detroit would have to be quite substantial because he's still a very valuable prospect in part of the the future of the Red Wings. So if this is a trade, it's got to be something relatively large. And I think at this point, you know, he was scratched last night and Dylan Larkin's injury was sort of happening in parallel. Could it be a centerman coming back? To Detroit, if it is in fact a trade, if if Larkin's out, if Larkin's in the short term going to be able to come back and, and play at full strength, is it a defenseman? Are they looking for a goalie? Like, I have a really tough time sort of reading where this could be going. But man, if you're going to trade someone like Jonathan Berggren, it's got to be a big fish coming back. See, I would think that because we obviously really like Berggren, but 
What are any other NHL teams going to look at when discuss discussing trade? They're going to look at a 23-year-old forward who's under half a point per game in 71 NHL games played. Now, he is having, you know, a strong season in the AHL at about a point per game, but you know, with all his injury history and everything and and the time he missed around his draft, it's easy to forget he's 23. There's not much more upwards trajectory for players traditionally at this age not to say it never happens but those are the exceptions to the rule the norm in this situation is he is about what he is and to me he's a a good middle six playmaking winger who could moonlight on your second power play but i don't think that what he is now equals a big return in trade i i get the feeling and there's no way to know this that this wasn't something initiated by Iserman. This is Berggren probably looking at it and going, I'm 23. I had a productive year in the NHL this year. It's BS. I'm in the AHL this year. He's right. And he wants to go somewhere that's going to play him at the NHL level every day. And if that is true, I don't blame him for it. But now Iserman's stuck between a rock and a hard place because he knows he's got a good player here in Jonathan Berggren and the rest of the league is going to go under half a point per game. Here's a fourth round pick like th- this. This will be a really tricky trade if this rumor is indeed true. Yeah, it's got a little bit of shades of uh, Robbie Fabry um, sort of situation in St. Louis. My, I mean, injury, they both have injury history, but I think Fabry's is a little bit more significant than Berggren's. So, yeah, maybe it is a situation like that. I think Berggren should be on this roster. I think he provides a lot of uh, production that, that's, that's missed in the middle bottom six. Um, yeah, clearly this is a, a fluid situation and a lot of the details are unknown at this point. It would be a shame to lose Berggren for a fourth. But uh, there is the human aspect to professional sports as well. And I think he's very much deserving of a, a look right now in the NHL, rather that, whether that be with Detroit or another organization. Yeah, there, there is a reality here where this is the Robbie Fabry in St. Louis situation where we're trading you not because we want to, but because we're doing you a solid. We see the logjam ahead of you. We understand the situation you're in. And Sorry, Kara, I know you're listening, but the Blues gave away Robbie Fabry for a song. And then obviously you see what he's doing in Detroit. Now he's he's phenomenal. It's not crazy to think the same thing could happen with Berggren here. And, you know, it's a good problem to have for Detroit when you have this much depth. But it, it's I, I really am curious to see more information come out on this story because I would love to know if this is team initiated or player initiated. Yeah, and we... We may never know. It may just be a, a small blip in the radar. Uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm with you on this one, Brad. I don't know really what to totally make of this until more information is known. Um, yeah, that's kind of all I got on that one. All right. So we're almost an hour deep in this episode and we have covered nothing but Red Wings topics, which, hey, it's nice when our team's relevant again, even if it isn't all uh good stuff so evan why don't you lead us into overtime all right so bringing us into overtime uh just another note for ryan on overtime uh he will be posting those when he gets back so if you're wondering where last week's was or last episode's was those are on the way uh just gonna let ryan enjoy the rest of his vacation before he jives back in but anyway, Overtime This Week is once again brought to you by our Patreon supporters. If you want to join the Dub Dub Club, head on over to patreon.com slash wingwheelpodcast. You can sign up there. Gets you uh, additional entries into a lot of our giveaways. We give away tickets all uh, to every game. We give away jerseys. Lots of fun giveaways. Gets you into our Discord as well, which is a great community. We have game day threads where people are watching it in real time and reacting and um, having very rational conversations like in the Ottawa game. So it's a great time. Couldn't recommend it more. Um, so yeah, head over to patreon.com slash podcast to join. Um, a lot of emotional questions, believe it or not, uh, from the Shocking. Patreon supporters this week. So we're going to try and parse through as many as we can. 
um, without everyone trying to uh, put out a hit on Matthew Joseph. We do appreciate the fire, though. Um, anyway, Laporta Potty says, I've decided not to buy a Wings jersey till Axel Santine Pelica gets on the team. That being said, he is already my favorite player in the system. Any chance he wears the winged wheel at the end of the season or next year, or is it still a ways out? I'd say this season is highly unlikely. I'm going to still, I'm going to call next year still unlikely, but non-zero because what he's doing in the SHL this year is almost literally unprecedented uh, for a defenseman his age and even more so given his stature. Yeah. That being said, he's still a smallish defenseman and they always have a real tough time transitioning to the NHL, especially on the smaller ice. So I'd be surprised if he doesn't get some time in Grand Rapids before he jumps to the big league, whether that's next this upcoming season or the season after. But I would like him in North America one way or another next year just to, I don't know, acclimate. But either way, I, I don't think his trajectory will be as long as a typical sub six foot defenseman. Yeah, I'm in the same boat as you. We've already done the Simon Edvinson experiment, and we've seen that the timing is significantly different coming from Europe into the NHL, and it takes time to to get that figured out. So that for me, Axel Sandin Pelica comes over next year, whether that's in Grand Rapids or Detroit, and gets gets onto North American ice and starts getting ready for his professional career at the NHL level. Yeah, and we had so much... Uh content in the episode we didn't even have time to bring up the fact that Edmondson's on an absolute heater in Grand Rapids right now yeah I think he's got what 10 points in seven games like it's just a heater there's nobody knocking down the door more than a Simon Edmondson right now next episode we need to have a 10 minute speech on why Simon Edmondson needs to be in Detroit yesterday yeah well if you uh go back and watch the last two games it might uh (laughs) do it's the argument for you fair Anyways, uh, next question here. Joseph Barry says, if Larkin missed a significant amount of time and Prawn is suspended for more than five games, when do we start becoming concerned about the rest of the season? Oh, I'm already there. It sounds bad to say the second Larkin hit the ice, that concern was on high alert. Um, This team now has Patrick Kane and they have good depth. I don't know if they can compete in the East without Dylan Larkin. I think you can patch the hole that David Perron left a little more, but Larkin to this team right now is irreplaceable. If they make the playoffs without him, if he is out long term, that will be one of the true underdog stories in Red Wings history. That being said, uh, and another thing we forgot to mention in the episode, uh, the scans from Larkin this afternoon came back clear. There is no timetable for return yet, but the first prognosis, uh, maybe the word to say here, that we got about Larkin's injury is good. Now, we don't know how good or how bad, but at least, you know, first step was a positive one. So hopefully by the time we record on Wednesday, we'll have a clearer timeline on Larkin's return. Anytime the best player on a playoff hopeful team goes down, the concern for the season begins right then and there. Um, people may have already been having a concern based on the amount of uh, leads that have been blown in the past week. But when Dylan Larkin goes out of the game, your best player, um, concerns for the season begin about at that moment for me. Vaccinadian has a question here, says, since both Larkin and Prawn are likely to miss a decent to significant amount of time, who do you call up and fill in those spots? And how does the team manage without them? Do we say Bergren? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that's that's really what I thought before I saw that he got scratched. Yeah, Bergren's the obvious answer here. If nothing else happens. You know, I, I know he hasn't been having a great year in Grand Rapids, but we know Soderblom can hang at the NHL level. He he can fill a role. Casper's been coming on a little bit lately, um, which is helping, you know, recover what's been an underwhelming season so far for him in Grand Rapids. I don't know if you call Casper up to play on the fourth line, though. I can understand calling Soderblom up to play on the fourth line. So... You know, boring answer, but I think if you're if you need multiple bodies, it's Bergren and Soderblom. 
Yeah, those are going to be my two as well with the mix of questioning about the the scratch of Berggren last night. So, yeah, you know, both those players can play in this lineup and they can play at the NHL level uh, to varying degrees. Those were my two obvious ones. Or if you want to if we want to keep the trolling of Hawks fans going, uh, we signed Jonathan Taze out of his hiatus. That would definitely make some news. That might be an emergency <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Ryan might die if just the two of us have to do an emergency podcast. It would be the greatest episode in the history of our show for all the best and worst reasons. Yeah. Oh, my God. No, thank you. (laughs) Ryan's probably already nervous enough that he watched that brawl last night and then went, oh, no. (laughs) Because he knows the boomers are here and nobody's going to be the voice of reason. There's no pacifist on this episode. It's just the two of us. (laughs) His anxiety is at an 11 out of 10 right now. Yes. I don't know why I pick the next person because I'm going to severely struggle with their name and that's on me. Usually I should save those for the Patreon exclusive episodes, but this one is Iris. <laughs> Irish uh, wristwatch? Swish swash? Yes, thank you. That's the one. I did that uh, off the it, top of my head because I've heard Ryan say it enough. Yes. I'll have to redeem myself when I uh, name all the, the sponsors at the end here. But anyway... Uh, in October, the Grand Rapids Griffins were called for a delay of game penalty because fans throwing foam pucks for a charity drive onto the ice. Then last week, Kirill Tatayev of the Toledo Walleye received a 10... I can't believe we didn't talk about this. Received a 10-minute misconduct for shooting a chicken nugget back into the crowd. Any predictions for who slash how the Red Wings get a penalty to complete the organizational trifecta? Hmm. There's... There's so many options here. So we've got foam pucks in Grand Rapids, a chicken nugget in Toledo. I'm going to say some random fan in Detroit actually slaps Matthew Joseph with a literal walleye. I was going to go with Patrick Kane does a reverse octopus throw. He picks it up off the ice and yeets it back into the crowd. (laughs) that would be the all-time visual of the hockey world please god let it happen hawks fans would probably die they're probably already so sad seeing patrick kane score the other night and all the emotion that was uh pouring out in his celebration if he picks up an octopus uh, a hallowed tradition of the detroit red wings and throws it back into the crowd I will buy a Patrick Kane jersey immediately. We can only hope. And then um, last one we've got here from uh, Joseph, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags. He says, uh, there are two types of Red Wings fans. Type one, I'm I'm going to write a strongly worded letter to the commissioner and hope my thoughts and prayers heal Dylan Arkin's neck. And type two is, I will not be satisfied until someone takes off their skate and stabs every senator on the ice. Apparently, there is no in-between allowed. We are definitely type two. Ryan is type one. Yes, yes. You and I are definitely shades of type two. (laughs) Is there a type three? That's even more extreme. We might fall into that category. He didn't write it, but I, you know what? If you dig deep enough, it it exists. Yeah, that would would a thousand percent be us. That's it. That's what we got for this week. We made it. Another hour-long episode. This is wild. Like an hour-long-plus episode with no NHL news being able to be covered. Not that there was any. This was like outside of Detroit, a really shitty news week. So we made it. So that's a full week without Ryan, even though he seemingly couldn't put his phone down the entire time he was gone. He was still somehow on Twitter more than the both of us. But, But... He will be back next episode and everything should be back to normal. And hopefully there are no more critical injuries to any Red Wings between now and then. Yeah, we didn't uh, we didn't really talk about the schedule or the standings. But um, between now and the next episode, which will probably be Wednesday, uh, the Red Wings have two games. They're away at Dallas uh, and then the next night on uh, Tuesday. They are away at St. Louis. So two big games there too. They got to end the the losing the losing streak here, get back in the win column. So 
hopefully we got some good stuff to talk about next uh next episode all right so thank you to our name level sponsors without you guys the shows does not happen so uh starting with carl provi marlon winchester eiserman stan craig kibble hockey town love red three joe miranda denny's gamer girl michael enland glenn brabham Connor Scovie, Marcus, Jay Gollum, Exquisitine Buble Schwinslow, Walman's Elite Dancing D, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Give Blood Fright Probert, King Tone, I score goals and get injured and I'm all out of goals, and I'm Evan, Ryan Hubbard, RA, Citizen High Five, Coyote Season Tickets and Anywhere But Tempe, Scree and Lube, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Scott Martin, Jacob Turner, Matt McKay, that's what I appreciate about you. Matthew M. Rice, Kalen Wood, Hassan Alkasem, Near an Ear, a Nearer Ear, a Nearly Eerie Ear. I hate you, whoever that is. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back to a three man roster on Wednesday uh, and enjoy the start of your week. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.